Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Thursday, November 3rd. Back in 2008, Jeff Bukas, who was then the CEO of Time Warner, which owned HBO, made one of the all-time infamous comments in Hollywood history. He was asked by the New York Times whether he was worried about Netflix, which at the time was a dominant DVD-by-mail company, and it was launching a direct-to-consumer streaming service. He said, and I quote, It's a little bit like, is the Albanian army going to take over the world? I don't think so. End quote. That was 2008. Five years later... Netflix passed HBO and U.S. subscribers, and it's since become the dominant streaming service in the U.S. and globally. HBO has essentially played catch-up ever since. Bucus is long gone. The company has been sold twice since his comments, including to AT&T, which was kind of a disaster, and it's since been spun off to Discovery. And over the past few years, HBO has attempted to remake itself as HBO Max, a general interest streaming service with a global footprint, essentially Netflix, but with that HBO brand of quality programming. This battle between Netflix and HBO has, in many ways, defined this era of television. And there's a new book on the subject called It's Not TV, The Spectacular Rise, Revolution, and Future of HBO by Felix Gillette and John Koblen, who are at Bloomberg and The New York Times. They bring new reporting and insight to this battle. HBO launched 50 years ago next Monday, actually, bringing uncensored Hollywood movies to the home years before VHS and DVDs did it. And then movie quality TV shows from The Sopranos to White Lotus, which I watched last night. It disrupted the TV ecosystem, becoming arguably the most powerful force in television. And then it was caught in the classic innovator's dilemma. It was so tied to the billions of dollars in cable TV distributor revenue that it earned, couldn't figure out the internet before Netflix did it first. And if you look at the early days of HBO and how it was written off, dismissed by the entrenched TV networks, and then copied relentlessly as it succeeded, it's kind of what has happened with Netflix in the past decade. A disruptor that was initially dismissed, then mocked, then ultimately copied. So here we are, 15 years after HBO actually considered buying Netflix, and they're locked in a battle for the future of television. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with John Koblin and Felix Gillette. They have a great new book about HBO. Uh, and we have a nice little news peg here, guys. First of all, welcome. Hi. Thank you. November 8th, 1972, 50 years ago, next Monday, Home Box Office debuted. It had 375,000 subscribers in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Now, 
They've got 92 million subscribers across Linear TV, HBO Max, and now because it's owned by Discovery, they include Discovery Plus, uh, which I assume is pretty minimal. Netflix, which did not get into the streaming video business until about 2009, 2010, has 225 million subscribers worldwide, more than double HBO. So I want to go back to a moment in 2006 when HBO executives saw this little Northern California company and they were having success in sending DVDs to their customers. And they said, you know what? We are the premium brand in premium television. This is a company that could perhaps help us figure out the internet. Why doesn't HBO just by Netflix. What happened there? This was a small business development crew out of HBO's West Coast offices, and they put together this 35-page proposal, um, which we got our hands on, and uh, made the argument, you know, HBO is a wholesaler, you know, has never had direct relationship with customers. Um, Netflix has this very a uh, sticky website uh, directly related to its customers. Why don't we go out and buy this thing? And they put together the pro- pro- proposal, flew out to New York, met with their bosses. And the way they tell it, they basically didn't get halfway through their presentation before they were just utterly shot down and told, no, Netflix is a flash in the pan. This is not anything we need to get into. Um and it stopped right there, uh, which is pretty amazing uh, looking back at it. But I think the thing that is interesting is you have to think about where Time Warner and HBO had come from at that point, because this was on the heels of the AOL Time Warner acquisition. Which was a famous disaster. Infamous. Huge disaster and left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And, you know, that merger, that deal had been sold on this idea of, oh, these cyber visionaries from Virginia are going to, you know, figure out the future of entertainment and content and programming. And when that turned out to be total nonsense and everyone at the company watched their savings disappear as the share price dropped from like $100 to less than $10, they had, you know, they all came away with this conclusion that these internet guys are complete, it's, you know, they're fraudsters. It's a complete phoniness. Why? And and I think that was the background where they were like looking at Netflix and they said, no way. Like, this is no different. What are we talking about? Like, we know what we're doing. We want nothing to do with this little California startup. They knew enough to know that the internet was a thing. <laughs> I mean, look back to 2006. That was the year that Google bought YouTube. You know, one of the 2006 yeah. is one of the seminal years in the development of the modern media ecosystem. I think TMZ launched that year. I think that, you know, that, that it was the year that people finally figured out that the internet was going to upend the traditional television business. Um, and HBO, see, at least some people at HBO, seem to know that. And they seem to yeah. know that going directly to the consumer via a digital platform was going to be the future. And HBO's relationships, as you said, were not with the consumer. HBO was sold via cable packages. And overseas, they didn't even, in many territories, have an HBO brand. The content was sold to various 
distributors that branded it under its own, their own uh, branding. So they knew it was coming, and yet they didn't do anything about it. And it's a fascinating innovator's dilemma here. And mm -hmm. I, I've always wondered what would have happened had HBO bought Netflix. Yeah, they were very much trapped by their own success in in the cable universe. And after that proposal was shot down to buy Netflix, that same crew of you know business development crew, they then decided, okay, well, we're not going to buy Netflix. What's our game plan? They came up with something called My HBO, uh, which was, I guess, because MySpace was still pretty big at that point. They everyone, it's like the plus of the time. They just added My to everything. So my HBO was another idea to go directly to consumers over the internet. Uh, they they had like crazy little ideas, like they were going to have this a zip drive that would come loaded with HBO, and you would plug it into your uh, laptop or home computer, and it would download some program in, and they would get your credit card. Um, but again, when they went to pitch this idea back to their bosses in New York, you know the affiliate sales team for HBO, which had all the relationships with the cable distributors and brought in all the money, basically, you know, most of the money for HBO, they all said, no, like, this is a terrible idea. You're going to jeopardize our relationship with the cable companies. We're going to, you're going to jeopardize our relationship with Comcast. And if they get upset with us, all they have to do is just stop promoting HBO as a service to their customers. And our churn rate is going to soar. So it's right. not People would cancel, risk. right. And that, yeah. and it's funny, you write in the book that the, just the fact that HBO was discussing this ended up leaking to the press, mm -hmm. probably by someone yep. who wanted to kill it. And yep. Comcast was so pissed off that they hauled the executives into the office and said, okay, explain us, <laughs> explain to us exactly what you're thinking here. Yeah. And, uh, and pretty quickly that entire team, I think everyone on that team left within a year. They were all basically shown the door. Um, and then my HBO then evolved into HBO Go. And by the time they launched HBO Go, they did so very much. If you go back and look at those early announcements, they go way out of their way to say, okay, this is just for people who already subscribe to cable. This is just an added service for our cable partners. And you'll get to watch a little bit of HBO programming if you're already paying for a bundle of, of channels. Uh, but it was a very tepid. Uh, first step into streaming and really designed not to upset those cable operators. Do you guys think that if HBO had bought Netflix, that Netflix would have become Netflix? I, I, I'm pretty sure that Netflix would not have become Netflix if it had been under the HBO banner. I think they would have ruined it. Yeah, I think... I mean, and let's keep in mind, if we're talking about 2006, it was two, that's still when Netflix is solely in the DVD business. But by 2007, that's when they began streaming, which Reed Hastings has said was his plan all along. The streaming business between 2007 and 2010, it starts taking off mostly on the backs of outside studios. That's when Netflix started licensing stuff, getting Lost on its service when Lost was really popular, eventually getting Mad Men onto the service. But the one place, the one outlet, that kept saying no was HBO. Netflix and HBO had a great relationship and it was just about DVD discs. But when it came to streaming, HBO refused time and time again. Ted Sarandos, co-chief executive of Netflix now, then chief content officer, 
He's a big comedy nerd. He tried to get Mr. Show onto Netflix. HBO said no. And he realized probably not going to wind up getting The Sopranos, not going to get Six Feet Under. But what about, um, excuse me, no, it was Sex in the City. What about Six Feet Under? What about Deadwood? And gave a crazy offer, not just to tempt HBO into saying yes, but also to drive David Milch's and Alan Ball's agents into fits and say, you've got to say yes. But HBO said no. And that's when Ted and Cindy Holland, his number two at the time, that's when they were like, okay, if HBO is saying no, probably only going to be a matter of time, maybe five years before all the other studios and networks decide licensing us stuff is a bad idea. And then they might create their own services. So in a way, HBO saying no got Netflix into original programming. Yeah. And and it was a smart move for them to say no. In retrospect, you know, mm-hmm. they turned down all of that cash. And that has always been the HBO model is that it's a closed ecosystem. They, for the most part, produce their own shows and they control their own destiny. And it really worked out for them, especially as the original programming beefed up. I mean, they went through that whole boom in the late 90s and early 2000s with DVDs where, you know, they spent at the time a ridiculous amount of money on Band of Brothers. I think it was $120 million for 10 episodes. And no one could understand why they were spending that much money. And then lo and behold, Band of Brothers becomes the biggest DVD seller of all time for a miniseries, and they made millions of dollars on that. Same with Sopranos, which was their most expensive show of all time. And then that turns into a transformative show for the network and a huge seller on DVD. Um, They did end up putting Sopranos on linear networks, but it was their own linear networks. It was TNT, if I remember, where they Mm -hmm. would sell in a syndication um, they never put Sopranos on HBO. And a lot of the other studios did put their marquee stuff. I mean, it was as late as what, 2016, 2017, where the Marvel movies were going to Netflix first after <laughs> theaters. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think that now. But Netflix was like, yeah, we'll we'll pay it. And I remember talking to Ted Sarandos about this stuff. He's like, yeah, eventually they're going to figure out that it's not good to do that for most of their marquee stuff but you know they didn't figure this out until much later than we thought they would figure it out but hbo was early on that and so they made the right decision right i mean bob Iger has been talking about this non-stop the, the selling stuff to netflix and how you know in retrospect how dumb it was but by hbo saying no it was at the end of 2010 when ted and cindy were like okay we should really think about this we should be getting into original series and they thought that it would take four or five years. Cindy said, we thought it was going to be four or five years. And then it was really five weeks later that they heard about House of Cards from RRC. And it was like, okay, this is it. This is the deal we're going to make in February 2011. Right. And then they pony up 100 million bucks for 26 episodes, sight unseen, um, Mm -hmm. transformative deal for them. You know, I have always wondered, and I've said this on the show, Everyone always cites House of Cards as the moment that Netflix became Netflix. I'm not so sure. They had that stock price. They had the money. They they were going to make a splash with something. And, you know, they had Orange is the New Black the next year. They had all these other shows, The Crown. They had Stranger Things come. I'm not so sure that, that House of Cards was, if that didn't work, that Netflix is not Netflix. Do you guys agree? I agree. I think they would have found something else, but I think it was such a 
pivotal moment. I mean, in regards to HBO, also the fact that that was such a tailor-made HBO show. Oh God, it was like it must have been catnip for Richard yeah. Plepler. That is, it oh, hits right. all of the things that he likes. You know, this is he's a very erudite. You know, loves to be in the culture. He always used to talk about how an HBO show would be successful if it wasn't in the culture pages, if it was on the front page. And mm-hmm. that's what he wanted. And this was a political hot, you know, hot button show. It felt like an HBO show. It did. And snatching that away, I think, especially at this time, I mean, this is coming on the heels of Jeff Bukas's famous quote about Netflix, you know, saying it's a little bit like the Albanian army is going to take over, isn't it? And so, you know, the the head of the company of Time Warner, the you know, former CEO of HBO out there kind of taking a jab at Netflix and then Netflix being able to swoop in and take that project from HBO. It's just it's just great drama. Yeah. And then that set the stage for about seven or eight years of jockeying where mm-hmm. all of a sudden Netflix was in the mix to buy almost every single big project. I mean, they were just spending whatever they could to get HBO-style programming. And Ted said openly, we've got to become HBO before HBO can become us. I think that was a little bit disingenuous because I think the overall plan for Netflix was not to become HBO. It was to become HBO and CBS and and the Fox Network and all of these other categories of content that Netflix has tried to dominate. I mean, it went in and essentially stole the comedy special business away from HBO, which had been the leader for many years. They started paying comedians $20 million to get their special. Then they went into, you know, the, the HBO uh, movie business. HBO used to have a, a huge movie of the week type business where they would do these like, you know, 15, $20 million movies. And Netflix started to do originals and spend way more on the movies than HBO ever was going to do. Um, you know, how would you characterize the HBO Netflix rivalry today? Where does it stand today? Given everything that's happened, given the fact that HBO since that, you know, those early days with Bucus's comment has been sold twice, first to AT&T and then spun off into this new entity, Warner Brothers Discovery. They are challenged, at least on the debt side, where they have all these issues that they have to resolve at the parent company. And Netflix has had its own challenge, where the stock prices has come way down from where it was. How would you describe the rivalry today? I mean, one measuring stick is look what happened at the Emmys in September. HBO cleaned up this year. And its its batting average on a program-to-program basis is just better than Netflix. Netflix makes a ton more shows but HBO's batting average is much higher. With that said, look at the number of subscribers. You said that before. They have more than double what HBO, HBO Max, and Discovery combined have. Like, and Netflix is out there internationally. Like HBO, they're doing they're doing well when it comes. We've got White Lotus now. We had House of the Dragon a couple months ago. But with those subscribers, we saw Netflix touting that Dahmer, it's the new Ryan Murphy hit show trounced House of the Dragon, HBO's Game of Thrones prequels slash spinoff. So, you know, programming, HBO's winning, but Netflix just has the audience. Well, I think also, you know, what's interesting is, like you mentioned before, HBO put everything, so much energy into building up the brand over the decades. HBO stood for something, premium content. It was all about connecting those shows to the HBO brand. 
in the United States, but the fact that overseas forever they did the opposite thing, which was like taking those shows and then licensing them out to the top bidder who could then put it on their network and under their brand. Um, you know, that was incredibly lucrative and just pure profits for the company forever. But now you see that deficit where the HBO brand means basically nothing to most of the world. And the fact that Netflix has spent all this energy and time going into Latin America, going into Asia, going into Europe, and doing the hard work of putting in the infrastructure, opening offices, having relationships with the talent in these markets, they're so far ahead of HBO in that competition. And, you know, the fact that now they're paying dividends and you get, you know, Squid Game coming back and shows from international markets that turn into global hits, that's not something HBO is in any way close to. But I will also say it's interesting to me that like for a while, you know, there were all those years following 2010, you know, through the mid 2010s where at every earnings call, you know, Netflix would call out HBO in some way. And then there was a period of time where they stopped doing that. And they said, nah, we don't compete with HBO anymore. We compete with, you know, sleep. We compete with Fortnite, right? And now I think it is interesting that just this last earnings call, they came back and took a little shot at HBO in their uh, letter to investors with the, you know, that John mentioned, but this little Google Trends chart and oh, Dahmer's beating House of Dragon. Right, which was a BS chart because- it's total nonsense, right? <laughs> There's nothing to that. It's just basically just, it's like an old, it's just it's like, it's like comfort food for them to go and like take a nice little shot at HBO. Um, and I think that shows that they are feeling a little bit more insecure because, yeah, the the fact that they've had this cratering of their stock price, the fact that Wall Street wants to see profits now, that they're not just going to give them the benefit of the growth on a uh, benefit of the doubt on growth, um, puts them much back, much more back in the category of having to compete on, you know, not just being able to outspend everybody in the way they have. And the fact that you have Amazon and Apple that just have a ton of money also elbowing into the space. And Amazon can just throw a billion dollars behind, you know, a uh, Lord of the Rings show just, I think, makes that competition much more relevant again in a way that for years it kind of had, you know, HBO versus Netflix had lost a little bit of its luster. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. HBO has tried to pivot over the past few years with HBO Max to try to mm -hmm. broaden out the brand because as we've said on the show before, you know, as powerful a brand as HBO has been over the years, it's so powerful that many people believed it was not for them. And that if you didn't like a certain style of programming, you were not the kind of person that should subscribe to HBO. And they've really tried to expand that out with HBO Max and putting things like Friends there and having more programming for women and things that were not as 
as prestigious and HBO quality. Uh, and then also putting all the Warner Brothers library movies on HBO Max. It really does now have the best library of movies, in my opinion. So how do you think that the transition to HBO Max has gone from a branding perspective? Do you think that they have squandered a little bit of that HBO veneer, or do you think they've done it in a way that has maintained that while also broadening it out? I mean, I thought initially it was going to be a mess, right? All of a sudden, you have got Big Bang Theory uh, sitting next to uh, The Sopranos. You have the, the Chris Wallace CNN show standing you know, next to White Lotus. But HBO, the proof is in the pudding. HBO's programming has remained consistent. And that broadening out has worked. I mean, in the case of Euphoria, that's a young adult show. That's as young as HBO has gone. And, you know, after it's, it was its biggest hit uh, after Game of Thrones. So I personally think that they have threaded the needle. Um, but soon you're going to have a bunch of Discovery stuff now living side by side with the HBO stuff. I know they at least had a bar. Like there was a bar that you wouldn't <laughs> go below for HBO. And then it, now it's going to be like Dr. Pimple Popper and like, uh, you know, my feet are killing me. Have you heard of this show on D Discovery? Yes. My feet are killing me. It's literally a show about foot funguses and how you get rid of them. What happens when that's standing next to Mike White? I don't know. I also think that, you know, if you look at retailing and you talk to branding people in that space, I mean, this happens a lot where people take a prestige brand and then take it slightly down market at a lower price point. You know, there's even a name for it. You know, they call it Mastige. And, you know, brands like Polo, um, Ralph Lauren, um, you know, Prada have done this successfully. I think the risk is, you know, in the short term, it's great because you can widen the consumer base and still maintain a bit of the sense of, oh, it's it's prestigious. But I think in the long term, the risk is that something happens to like Cadillac, where you take something that was a ambitious brand and a brand that, you know, you would grow into. And then at some point, if you take it down too far for too long, it loses its cachet. And I think that conceivably will happen if they stick with the HBO Max branding. Um, and I think particularly as they move into all these new markets, uh, it seems like if I were them, I would definitely reconsider the name. Yeah, they are. I mean, when Discovery formally merges everything into HBO Max, they are considering having the whole service called something else. Um, the, the thing that is interesting, and, and I wanted to get your take on ads, it's a big moment for both Netflix and HBO, Netflix in particular, because they had always said they would never have ads. HBO Max does have an ad tier, but they keep the ads away from the HBO programming. How much do you think ads on all these services is going to change the game and who benefits? I think it's a huge moment because especially, you know, one of the things that came out when we're working on the book is so much of the revolutionary content that came out of HBO in the past 50 years can be traced back one way or another to the fact that there were no commercial sponsors, that there was, was no advertising, right? That they were allowed to do things without uh, having commercial sponsors say, you know, stay away from that topic, stay away from AIDS, stay away from abortion, stay away from gun control, stay away from violence, stay away from nudity. And that was so baked into the HBO brand that you sometimes forget it. And of course, when Netflix came along uh, and 
started creating its own ads, you know, ad-free programming, uh, they had the same benefit. Now, I think over time, as you mentioned, you know, Netflix became more like Walmart. It became broader. It became, you know, less of an edgy brand like HBO. And I think in some ways, a lot of their programming seems more ad uh, friendly in some ways. Um, I think that the problem that Netflix is going to have is the fact that, you know, advertisers want people to show up at a specific time in a specific place, right? They need you to be there in front of the screen at a particular time. Um, And the fact that, you know, I think that works much better with the old, you know, weekly drop of episodes that HBO has continued on. I think the binge model of putting everything in at once is not really great for advertisers. But they get a shitload of time spent on the platform. That's where Netflix's ace in the hole is, is that people just spend way more time on Netflix than they spend on anything else. And that is great for advertising. We'll see how it all shakes out. All right, guys, congrats on the book. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, I think the days are numbered for Showtime. AKA, it's going to get folded into Paramount Plus? I think so. So yesterday, the owner of Showtime, Paramount Global, had their earnings call, and they kind of got destroyed. Uh, Their revenue on the advertising side is way down. They did grow their streaming subscribers, including Paramount Plus and Pluto TV, which we talked about, and uh, they, they have momentum there. But the stock market just doesn't like Paramount Global right now. And the CEO, Bob Backish, was in kind of scramble mode. And he started saying things about how they plan to cut costs and have increased synergies. And he said this quote, which is a hilarious corporate speak that we will have to translate. He said, we have a set of in-process organizational moves that will see Showtime benefit from further integration with the rest of the company. It'll potentially introduce new ways to create incremental value, both with consumers and for distributors. It's going to unlock some significant cost synergies. Translation, Showtime is getting folded into Paramount+. Plus. What is the argument for and against having Showtime sit outside of Paramount+. Plus? Well, first of all, linear TV, there is value to having the Showtime channel, and they do have relationships with all of these distributors, like we talked about with the HBO guys, and how Showtime is sold by these other cable and satellite providers. So there is benefit there, and it does have a brand. You know, people associate Showtime with certain type of content, and they have a programming team, and they, you know, but the head of Showtime, David Nevins, just left. Um, A lot of people there think that, the ultimate goal is to make Showtime a tile on Paramount Plus. It already is sold as a bundle. You can get Showtime for an upcharge on Paramount Plus. And it's just a matter of time, in my opinion, where it just gets folded in. The programming budget decreases significantly. They put a lot of filler on the linear channel. Um, I don't think it'll be like MTV and the other networks that Paramount owns, where it'll be like ridiculousness all day long. But Uh, I think that the ambition level at Showtime will decline. They will lay a bunch of people off and it will ultimately just be either a branded area on Paramount Plus um, or it'll go away completely. We need to do an episode on how much money Rob Deerdeck has made from ridiculousness syndication. 
literally all day, every day on MTV. It's the ridiculousest network with small breaks for the challenge and whatever Jersey Shore reunion they're doing. I swear, in terms of like shows with the most syndication of all time, it's like Seinfeld, Friends, ridiculousness. Yeah, they probably have some deal though where they don't pay him as much as the Seinfeld I'm people sure. make for ridiculous for that for that <laughs> yes. syndication. But yeah, probably. ridiculousness will never die. People love seeing people fall down and get hurt. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank John Koblin. I want to thank Felix Gillette. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you next week. Hold up. 